0: Uh, it's, uh, it's special for me today, and I won't embarrass him. But I do have a son here with me. Just don't, don't, don't look around. Don't look around. <laughs> it's okay. But uh, he just graduated from college, and I was thinking. <coughs> 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 Let's just say we need a nurse in the family. So that's, that's right. That's right. <coughs> <So laughs> When I was his age, uh, just finishing college, I had applied to go overseas through a missionary uh, organization, and I had always wanted to go overseas. In fact, I felt called to be a missionary, and so um, I just thought, one day I'm just going to be a missionary and do all of that missionary kind of stuff. And so this program was a two-year program. went went over, over anywhere around the world, and uh, the job was to assist missionaries. So I had just graduated with my edu- uh, degree in education, and I thought I could just be a missionary kid teacher. And because I grew up in Saskatoon, I just applied to go to the French West Indies, Honduras, and Peru, like anywhere hot. <laughs> I'm looking for palm trees, beaches, oceans, anything like that. That's kind of what I was thinking. And and so I, I went to the program. I did my initial applications, had the interviews, and uh, came home, waited for their response, and they said, A couple weeks later, got a letter in the mail, and it said, congratulations, you have been accepted into our program. We're going to send you to Norway as a youth pastor. (laughs) And I I looked at the front of the letter, the envelope, like, is this to the right person? Like, this isn't even, that's not, like, where's Norway? It's not in the, the southern hemisphere at all. There's no palm trees in Norway that I know of. And so I, I struggled. I mean, God and I had some words. And um, I questioned whether he knew what he was doing. God, are you sure? Like, you, you want to maybe give us a second guess and a second reading on this? Maybe go talk to your son in your spirit. Maybe, you know, maybe we can have another answer. Uh, and the, the only word that came back to me is, Tom, I am going to Norway. If you want to join me, you're welcome to. Otherwise, you can just stay where you are on your own. So I gave up, and I I gave in to what he was calling me to do. Um, The problem was that I had never been in a church that had a youth pastor. I didn't actually know what one did. And so I was going to go be a youth pastor. I don't know. I guess we just have fun. That's all youth pastors do. Isn't that right? I just uh, play games and... But, uh, you know, I did have some uh, ministry in in university, working with students, that type of thing. So I just applied all of my experiences to being the best youth pastor I could be. And uh, it was two years, and by the time I left this church in Stavanger, Norway, uh, it was an amazing time for me. I had some difficult times while I was over there. My sister, who was 16, was diagnosed with uh, Hodgkin's disease, uh, cancer, and in the program I was in, we weren't allowed to go home. If she didn't make it, I wasn't going to be able to see her. So I had a lot of struggles when I was over there, but I learned, I grew up. I learned I had weaknesses as well as strengths. I learned to depend on God's people. And I had to also come to grips that I don't always have the best plan for my life, that I can trust God to know what He's doing. We're in a series of messages today, uh, finishing up with three messages. The first one is Dare to Pray. And it's a dangerous thing when you start to pray. We'll go to the next slide. When you pray, God begins to intervene and invite you to be a part of his activity, to invite you into life-changing circumstances and to be an instrument through which he can work to change lives. Then it's dare to dream. There is more than what you see. There's more than where you are in your life. God does have a plan for your future and he does reveal things to us that he wants to accomplish through us and in our in our, our 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 life down the road not just today and tomorrow but years away from now he can give you a dream that he wants to accomplish through you and then to put it all together is daring to trust that he knows what he's doing i didn't know that 7 or 15 years after i left that city in norway uh, being a youth pastor in an international church. You can look it up, North Sea Baptist Church. Fifteen years later, I would arrive with my whole family to become the lead pastor for the next seven years of my life. I didn't know that God had, was kind of giving me a taste of what's to come. Decades later, with my whole family got to, to live there. In fact, my son, my oldest son is there right now with his wife showing her where he grew up. Doubt is okay for a few minutes, but it must give way to faith and trust that God knows what he's doing. God took me way outside of my comfort zone and took me to a place where I didn't have the supports that I normally had, my family and all my friends, and, and he said, it's time to depend on me, Tom. And so I learned a great deal just going there and, and saying, okay, God, I don't know what I'm getting into, I don't know where I'm going to be living, I, I, don't, I don't even know where Norway is on the map. I had to go to a globe and find out where I was going. But I said, my trust is in you. Many of you have memorized Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Let's say it together if you know it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your path straight. I want that to stick in your heart because it's real, and it's a challenge for us. From the 10-year-old that's sitting here in the pew, trusting that he's going to get the good teacher he needs in September, trusting that, that he's going to have the friends that he needs to have to help him through school, to, to the college kid who's wondering about their life choices, what vocation to have, to the, to the young adult that's wondering about getting married, God, do you have someone for me? Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and he will make your pathway. He'll He'll figure it out for you. The book of Judges in chapter 6 tells us about a man named Gideon. I like Gideon because he's very real. Uh, I can relate to Gideon. He had doubts. Judges chapter 6 verse 11, it says, The angel of the Lord came to Gideon and sat beneath a great tree at Ophrah. So what's happening is the people of God have been overrun by the enemy. The enemy were traipsing around with their soldiers. They would come in take what they wanted. Uh... If they, you had grain, they would take your grain. If they had wine, they take your wine. Whatever, figs? Yeah, we're just going to have those two. And, and so, right now, Gideon is like hiding from the enemy. He doesn't want his stuff to be stolen by the enemy. Uh, he's, he doesn't want it to be noticed. He wants to keep under the radar, uh, low profile, make no noise. Just, just, uh, just get done what needs to be done in the wine. Uh, threshing his wheat at the bottom of a wine press. It says, "Son of Joash, hiding from the enemy." And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Something's wrong with this picture. He's, he's hiding from the enemy, not wanting to be noticed. And God looks at him and says, Mighty warrior, the Lord is with you. What we're seeing, in just in that phrase, and that's always um, a phrase that's stuck out to me because it was inconsistent with what Gideon thought of himself. He didn't think that he was any mighty warrior. In fact, we're going to find out He doesn't think very much of himself at all. And the second part is, the Lord is with you. And that's what creates the first part, mighty warrior. Those two together are true. But either one without each other doesn't work. Gideon says to himself, I haven't really seen God do very much so far. Like, God hasn't really been our help. In fact, we're oppressed. We've got enemies Chasing us down, hunting us down, stealing from us. What are you talking about, mighty warrior, the Lord is I, I don't see any evidence that the Lord is with us. He had some serious doubts and legitimate questions. Why should I believe he's going to do anything now? He hasn't done anything so far. Verse 13, sir, <laughs> the Lord is with us. Why has all this happened to us? Where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about, hey? Parting of the Red Sea, manna in the wilderness. We don't get to see any of that. Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. What I like when people come up with objections to what God is doing is typically he just kind of ignores them and goes on. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go. Go. With the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. (laughs) Did you not hear what I just said? Like, this is ridiculous, actually. And I don't understand what you're saying to me. This is not computing in my mind. More doubt, more excuses, more hesitations. Gideon says in verse 15, How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest of the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the least in my entire family. I'm nobody. I'm nothing. I've never accomplished anything. No one takes notice of us. No one even invites us to the parties. What are you talking about? We don't have any influence or power or connections or resources to make any difference at all. And of course the angel doesn't uh, acknowledge his his, uh, differences again. He said, I will be with you. And you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. But still more doubt, more bargaining, more testing God's patience. And in verse 17, Gideon says, If you are truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it is really the Lord speaking to me. So when you look at this story back in the book of Judges, we see a farmer who is being asked to be a general He doesn't have a degree, he didn't go to military school, he doesn't have money, he doesn't have influence, he doesn't have power, connections, resources, nothing but God. The weakest tribe, the least impressive person in his own family, no one looked up to Gideon. They were not inspired as he walked by. They took no notice of Gideon. He just wanted to keep his head down, not be noticed, particularly by the enemy. He didn't want to draw any attention to himself. And God is saying, You are, go free your people from oppression. <laughs> like, oh, this is like a dream, or maybe a nightmare. In fact, when he does actually step up and he knocks down an idol that's in the town square, he does it under the cover of night, and his daddy has to come rescue him the next day when everybody's mad at him. And his daddy says, no, no, like let your, let your Baal take care of himself. If he's so weak that he can't even stand up to my, my pathetic little son, like, uh, then he doesn't deserve to be God, so get away from here. Gideon's terrified. Everyone hates him now. His townspeople hate him. God hasn't come through before. He doesn't even know God, really. He's just heard about God. He's heard about all the stuff that God's done in the past with other people. Why him? But in spite of the hesitations, Gideon decides to trust God. And he went against his common sense. He stood up to his fears. He trusted God and knew what he was doing. And if you read into the story, God took 300 men against how many? 135,000. When God asks us to do something, he doesn't want us to do it on our strength. He wants to do it on his strength. He wants to show us what he can do through someone who's not much, doesn't have a lot to offer, uh, struggles to even have any self-esteem. But we serve a big God. Least of the tribes, a man of no influence or reputation, God made great. God took someone who was no one and made him be honored, respected, and remembered for all time. So when Gideon walked down the road after this battle was over, after the, he sent the enemy packing, 135,000 people were defeated because he, he just stood up and did what God asked him to do. In fact, he didn't even have to fight. He just had. To, it was really, in, you know, I, I don't know. God's strategies for dealing with enemies are quite something. You look at what Gideon did, and we're going to talk about Joshua in just a minute. Like very unorthodox, but so is God. He doesn't fit our mold. He doesn't fit our expectations. He doesn't want to do things our way. He says, let me show you what I'm going to do. And you're going to be amazed. And everybody's going to talk about this forever. How's Gideon remembered today? As an amazing man of God, a commander, the army of Israel. He had a whole Bible society named after him. I mean, the Gideons are still putting Bibles in in hotels rooms and giving them to kids around the world. Because he's an inspiration. The least of his tribe, the least tribe of his nation, the nobody becomes somebody in God's hands. God likes to demonstrate his power through those who have none. He likes to take people of little influence and make them known throughout the world. So what about Joshua? One of the verses uh, in in the story of Joshua taking the city of Jericho has always inspired me, and we'll get to that in just a second. So Joshua Uh, Do you remember, he was Moses' right-hand man. Joshua was the military guy. Moses was the big spiritual leader. And Joshua was the guy that carried out a lot of the the orders that that God gave to Moses. Joshua was reliable, respectable. He was a man of stature. He was a soldier. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a missionary or, or a well-known speaker, orator. He, he, had, he knew how to use his sword, and he knew how to use his spear. So when Moses passed the scene, and God took him up to heaven, Joshua was left in charge. And, and now he's the number two guy trying to be the number one guy. Pretty intimidating to follow a guy like Moses. Any of the volunteers? It's <laughs> like, what? All the things that Moses did? We don't really have a record of Joshua performing any miracles like moses did joshua didn't have a staff that turned into a stake or parted a red sea a broad man or water from a rock he he didn't have the magic staff that god used to do um, um, amazing things he just had a sword and a spear and probably a shield but he was called on to be the next leader of israel he was called on not to be moses he was supposed to be joshua moses didn't lead the people into the promised land joshua did joshua had a different assignment He was going to do things differently than Moses did. He wasn't supposed to be the great spiritual guide to his people. He was there to be obedient to what God asked him to do. Different mission, different purpose, different methodology. But he was just as chosen to lead God's people as Moses was. He didn't try and copy Moses. But God gave him a very difficult task. You see, the very first place that they were supposed to defeat was Jericho, a walled city. Uh, The walls were quite thick and quite high, and the people inside Jericho... They kind of laughed at anybody that was going to try and take them on. It's Like, yeah, whatever. Let us know when you're done, done trying, and then we'll go back to our, our but uh, it's not going to happen. And my favorite verse comes in Joshua chapter 5, starting at verse 13. Joshua brought the people around uh, close to, to the city of Jericho. They knew that there was a war, a battle impending. Pretty scary times. Pretty uneasy time. There was a tension in the air. They knew a battle was going to happen. And Joshua goes off. And he, it says when Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up. And he saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, are you friend or foe? I like the other translations that says, are you for us or for our enemy? And this is my favorite verse. The guy says, neither one. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. Like, I don't have a stake in this. I'm just coming to give you a message, and I'm leaving. And Joshua, it says, falls on his knees, face to the ground in reverence. I'm at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? And first of all, the commander of the Lord's army says, take off your shoes, for the place where you're standing is holy. Let's just get things straight here. You're in the presence of God. And I'm about to ask you to do something that's crazy, but it will be talked about forever. Everyone's going to talk about what happened at Jericho and you. Yeah, Moses was good. He did a few things. But Jericho will always be tied to you, Joshua. I've given you Jericho. It's king and all its strong warriors, he says. You and your fighting men will march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each one carrying a ram's horn. And on the seventh day, you were to march around seven times with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast of the ram's horn, have all the people shout as loud as they can. And the walls of the town will collapse, and the people can charge straight into the town. And when I think about this, this was the commander of the Lord's army. And in and, and other stories, when we see the Lord's army assembled, it's, it's a terrifying moment. They're not normal soldiers. They are soldiers of fire and might, insurmountable. This was the commander. He'd taken time away from the troops to say, Joshua, I've got a plan for you. All you've got to do is follow the, follow the instructions. You'll be okay. And I, I still think about Joshua seven times marching around, yelling at the walls, like unorthodox strategy. But it was God's plan. The angel of the... Lord's army could have dispatched the inhabitants of Jericho on their own without any help from Joshua, but God wanted to see what was in Joshua's heart. Would he obey? Would he step up? Would he be the man he needed to be for the hour? He invited Joshua to be a part of his activity. I'm going to give the the city into your hands. You need to march around it seven times. What about Thomas? Of course, he's one of my favorite characters in the Bible because I'm named Thomas, but He's special to me. John chapter 20. All the disciples were together except Thomas, and Jesus appears to them. And Joshua, Thomas wasn't there, and he, he had trouble with that. He says, like, I think he felt left out, and, I, you know, I, I'm the, I'm, I sometimes feel left out, like, well, why didn't I get that, you know? But uh, he wasn't there, and so he says, you know what, unless unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers into them and place my hands to the wound in the side I, I, I just can't believe I can't, I can't believe I see that this is like Thomas's fleece like Gideon Just to, he, he needed proof as well he put this fleece out in the ground and said you know God if you're real if you're speaking to me in the morning uh, you know make the fleece wet and the ground dry and then the next time is like okay well make the, the fleece dry and the ground wet like how many times do you need proof well he needed proof He needed needed assurance. Thomas needed the same thing. This was his fleece. I want to see him myself, and then I'll believe. And when he finally sees Jesus, what what does he say? My Lord and my God. I don't need to touch no nail-scarred hand. Clearly, you are the risen Christ. You are the Messiah. Only a few days later, uh, earlier, when they were in, uh, weeks earlier, when they were going to go raise Lazarus from the dead, I don't know if you remember the story or not, but the disciples were quite worried that they were going into a trap. Jesus says, we're going to go back, uh, and we're going to go see where, uh, where uh, Lazarus is. We're going to help him out. And they said, well, you know, it's, it's a bit late. It's, he's dead. You know, what's the point? Um, in chapter 11 of John, verse 8, the disciples objected to Jesus' plan, and they said, look, teacher, Uh, only a few days ago the people in Judea were trying to stone you. You're going there again? And Jesus said, yeah, we're going there again. So Thomas says, okay, guys, let's go with him that we can die with him. He's not a chicken. He's he's not a coward. He just needed some proof. He just needed assurance that God was, was who he said he was. And Jesus, I believe, accommodates to our doubt. But our doubts have to turn into faith. One fellow, uh, when my dad was preaching years ago, said, well, I'm just the doubting Thomas of the group, you know. I just, need, I just need more proof. And my dad said, are you talking about Thomas before or after he met the risen Lord? Because after he met the risen Lord, he never doubted again. Which one are you again? At some point, you have to decide if Jesus is your Lord and your God. You have to take a stand to obey what he's asking you to do. John 20, 29, Jesus said, You believe because you've seen me, Thomas, but blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Is God your Lord and your God? Or is he just someone you pray to once in a while? Can you trust him? Can you trust him to know what he's doing? When he gives you a dream to dream, when he gives you a vision for what he wants to accomplish through you or in your family or in your company or in your school or where he has placed you, can you trust him to make it happen? Is he almighty, incomparable, all-powerful, all-knowing, unstoppable, undefeatable, and worthy of every knee, bowing before him? Is he? I say yes. He's never let me down. I turn 60 in a couple of weeks and I I guarantee you he has yet to let me down of anything he's ever told me he wanted to do Romans 8 28 says we know God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose I tell you right now you're called according to his purpose you have a calling on your life he came to you and he said I want to be a part of you you said yes I want you to be my Lord and Savior he says really Because I'm going to ask some tough things of you sometimes. I'm going to put you in a situation where you're going to need me, where you're going to have to cry out to me and call on me and trust that I can help you in your time of need. We have to trust that God never stops working for our good, our temporal good, our spiritual good, our eternal good, because we are called according to his purpose. He's never stopped using all things together, all bad things and good things and temporal things and spiritual things, evil things and divine things. He works everything together for our good. Not so that we're prosperous and have peaceful lives, but that we can be effective and impactful for eternity. He'll take the crappy things, the blessings, the curses, the miracles, anything that happens, he can mold and shape and and put it together for good. He was able to take a crucified son, and changed the world forever. The worst possible things to happen to the one he loved most, he took and turned it into a blessing for all time, the resurrected Christ. Will you dare trust God with what he wants to do through you? Are you willing to put the past behind you and grab onto the future that the Spirit is revealing to you? Last week we talked about dreaming again. It's good to dream again. It's time to dream again, to let God work in you and reveal what he wants to do in you and through you and around you. And then we become a part of his activity. And he he shows himself strong on our behalf. Will you dare to trust God again? Trust him to have your back. Trust him to silence your enemies, to fill the gaps, to soften hardened hearts, to bring the prodigal back home, to heal old wounds and set people free? At some point, like all these I've talked about, you have to take a stand. We can pray, we can dream, but sometimes we've got to take a stand and trust. Daniel chose the lion's den by defying King Darius' decree over denying his prayer time with God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego took a stand, defied King Nebuchadnezzar of his edict over compromising their worship of God. Martin Luther took a stand and said, I. I can't go back to what it used to be. I need to go forward to what has to be. William Wilberforce stood up against the British Parliament, against slavery. Christian businessmen take a stand every week trying to maintain their integrity and their, 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 their business ethics and not cross the line. Boys and girls take a stand against bullies, harassing their friends. Sometimes you just have to take a stand for what's right when God asks you. Teenager who says no to drugs because they want a different future for their life than the road they see their friends taking. you got to take a stand, I dare you, to trust what God is asking of you. In every case, there's always an opportunity to compromise, to take the easy road, to justify not doing the right thing. But these people said no. They went with the dream. They trusted their Lord And they saw a different future than what everyone else said was impossible. They were called fools for thinking they could change the system, thinking they could stand against the status quo, thinking they could win against insurmountable odds. But they did with God's help. Think about Noah. Think about Abraham, about Jacob. David, Esther, all had to trust their lives into God's hands. If you think that today's different, God's different, The enemies are different? Situations are different? Yeah, I don't think so. We have the same God asking us to make the same difference in our communities as he asked David to and Esther to and and other people that we have names in the Bible for. He asked them to take a stand, to, to grab a hold of the dream, to be faithful to the calling. And we know them because they said yes. Others ate the king's food and drank the king's wine. Others bowed to graven images. Others car caved under pressure others went with the prevailing winds didn't buck the system kept their heads down tried not to stand out or not even mentioned once in history as making a difference they weren't people to look up to i like gideon because he didn't think he was anyone or could amount to anything but he trusted in the big god I haven't even mentioned grizzled old prophet Elijah, the only prophet standing up against 850 pagan prophets, or Moses standing before the mighty Pharaoh, or the two fishermen, Peter and John, standing with utter confidence before the Sanhedrin. Remember, God plus us is always a majority. You need to transform your community, your neighborhood, your family. You want to see change in society? Is God looking for another Elijah or Joshua or Gideon or Moses or Luther or Daniel? No, he's looking for you. He wants to do something through you and me that others will talk about. That when we walk down the road, people say, that's a mighty person of God. Don't mess with them. God does things through them. Do you want to see the power of God working through you? Or are you okay with just coasting through the Christian life hoping for the best? Are you the person who will take a stand or will you sit quietly and not make waves? The question comes down to what is God asking of you? What is God asking you? You to release your life into his hands to do or to be or a place to go. I thought God had messed up with my life when he sent me to Norway but it changed me forever. It impacted my entire family. For it changed the course of our destiny because he knew what he was doing and I had to trust in him. What impact does God intend to make through your life if you would only allow him full access, full control, and full sovereignty? An old... Um, philosopher, theologian, author, Soren Kierkegaard, a Danish uh, theologian. He told a story about the man at the edge of a cliff. There was a fire coming uh, towards him and uh, his friend had already made it down over the cliff, but it had gotten dark and he couldn't see. And the man says, "I, I, I can't see you, I can't see you. He says, just jump. He says, well, I can't see you. And the man below said, that's okay, I can see you. Jump. And that that story impacts me because I don't always see, (laughs) I don't see what's in the darkness, but I know who's there. I know he's got a plan, and I can trust him with my life. I'm going to do something just a little different. I'm going to have actually all the fathers, if you would come forward and just kneel at the front. I want to pray over you today. I know we've had 14 prayers from Kaylee already. I I just think that maybe God needed her to get caught up in a few prayers. Can you come and just kneel at the front? I want to pray over you today. I want you to be men of God. I want you to have the courage to say yes when God calls. I want you to understand that you are called according to his purpose and his plan. And that he wants to do amazing things through you and through your kids. And I often think that my obedience is just supposed to be an inspiration To my kids, who God wants to use in a mighty way, too. God always works through generations, and maybe yours is the first to bow the knee to God. May all the generations that come after you be blessed. Father God, these are courageous men, these are mighty warriors. You see it in them. You've called them according to your purposes. May they, Father, may they be strong in you. May they be trusting that you know what you're doing with their life. May you give them the courage to identify those times in their own home, their own family, their own workplace, their own school, where they need to take a stand, to make a difference, to stand up for what's true and for what's right, to let you do amazing things through them, not because of who they are, but because they trust in you. Father, we are no one apart from you. We have no great future apart from you. We have no power apart from you. Fill each one of these here. Who bowed the knees to you today. Fill them with your presence. Fill them with your wisdom. Fill them with discernment. Fill them with your power. Fill them, Father, that their lives would shine. That people would notice a difference in them because you are alive and well. And we can trust in you. Father, as they leave this place, may they leave knowing they are called according to your purpose. And that you have a plan for them. And you want to do amazing things through them. Bless them, Father. And through them, bless their entire family. Regardless of what they think of themselves, I know you see them as mighty warriors in your sight. I pray this in Christ's powerful name. Amen.